0: Hello everyone, we are here, we are doing this, ha ha um, hello, I'm Amber, nice to meet you, nice to meet you, yeah, I'm, hello, (laughs) I'm still getting used to this, but here we are, um, basically what this podcast is gonna be is it's literally gonna be everything Sherlock Holmes related, it can be... Essays, um, I can read. I'm probably gonna do a lot of reading out short stories and stories and stuff like that. I'm gonna be discussing my opinions, just goofing off, you know? Because I literally have no one else to talk to about like Sherlock Holmes because everyone else is like, eh, reading sucks. So here we are. Here we are. Here we are. Here we are. Um, so I decided for the first episode I'm going to read out my uh, one of my favorite short stories from The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes by Sarah Conan Doyle, which is The Adventure of a Case of Identity. And I'm going to start doing that. The Adventure of a Case of Identity. My dear fellow, said Sherlock Holmes, as we sat on either side of the fire in his lodgings at Baker Street life is infinitely stranger than anything which the mind of man can invent. We would not dare to conceive the things which are really mere commonplaces of existence. If we could fly out that window, hand in hand, over over this great city and gently remove the roofs, and peep in at the queer things which are going on, the strange coincidences, the plannings, the cross-purposes, the wonderful chains of events, working through generations, and leading to the most atrocious results. It would make all fiction with its conventionalities and foreseen conclusions most stale and unprofitable. And yet, I am not convinced of it, I answered. The cases which come to light in the papers are, as a rule, bald enough and vulgar enough. We have in our co- police reports, realism pushed to its extreme limits. And yet the result is, it must be confessed neither fascinating nor artistic. A certain selection and discretion must be used in producing a realistic effect, remarked Holmes. This is wanting in the police report, where more stress is laid perhaps upon the platitudes of the magistrates than upon the details. Which to an observer contain the vital essence of the whole matter depend upon it there is nothing so unnatural as the commonplace. I smiled and shook my head. I can quite understand you thinking so, I said. Of course, in your position of an unofficial advisor and helper to everybody who is puzzled throughout the three continents, you are brought in contact with the with all That is strange and bizarre, but here, I picked up the morning paper from the ground, let us put it to a practical test. Here is the first heading upon which I come, a husband's cruelty to his wife. There is half a column of print, but I know without reading it that it is all perfectly familiar to me. There is, of course, the other woman, the drink, the plush, the blow, the bruise. And the sympathetic sister or landlady. The crudest of writers could invent nothing more crude. Indeed, your example is an unfortunate one for your arguments, said Holmes, taking the paper and glancing his eye down it. This is the Dundas separation case, a- and as it happens, I was engaged in clearing up some small points in connection with it. The husband was a little taller there was no other woman in the conduct of complained of was that he had drifted into the habit of winding up every meal by taking out his false teeth and hurling them at his wife which you will allow is not an action likely to occur to the imagination of the average storyteller. take a pinch of snuff doctor and acknowledge that i have scored you over in your example he held out his snuff box of gold which with a great amethyst in the centre of the lid. Its splendour was in such contrast to his homely ways and simple life that I could not help commenting upon it. Ah, said he, I forgot that I had not seen you for some weeks. It is a little souvenir from the King of Bohemia in return for my assistance in the case of the Irene Adler papers and the ring, I asked, glancing at a remarkable brilliance which sparkled upon his finger it was in the reigning family of poland th- this, the matter in which i served them was of such delicacy that i cannot confine confide it, it to you who have been good enough to chronicle one or two of my little problems and yet have you any on your hand just now i asked with interest some ten or twelve but none which presents any feature of interest they are important, you understand, without being interesting. Indeed, I have found that it is unusually in important matters that there is a field for the observation and for the quick analysis, a cause and effect which gives the charm to an investigation. The larger crimes are apt to be the simpler. For the bigger the crime, the more obvious, as a rule, is the motive. In these cases, save for one rather than rather intricate matter which has been referred to me from Marcelles. There is nothing which presents any features of interest. It is possible, however, that I may have something better before the many minutes are over, for this is one of my clients, or I am much mistaken. He had risen from his chair and was standing between the parted blinds, gazing down into the dull, neutral-tinted London street. Looking over his shoulder, I saw that on the pavement opposite there stood a large woman with a heavy fur boa around her neck, and a large curling red feather in broad brimmed hat, which was tilted in a croquet to sh- Duchess of Devonshire fashion over her ear. From under this great panel, he... She peeped up in a nervous hesitating fashion at our windows while her fi- while her body oscillated backwards and forwards and her fingers fidgeted with her glove glut- buttons suddenly with a plunge as of the swimmer who leaves the bank she hurried across the road and we heard a sharp clang of the bell i've seen those symptoms before said holmes throwing his cigarette into the fire oscillation upon the pavement always means an affaire de corps she would like advice but is not sure that the matter is not too delicate for communication and yet even here we may discriminate when a woman has been seriously wronged by a man she no longer oscillates and the usual symptom is a broken bell wire here we may take it that there is a love matter but that the maiden is not so much angry as perplexed or grieved but here she comes in person to resolve our doubts. As he spoke, there was a tap at the door, and the boy in the buttons entered to announce Miss Mary Sutherland. While the lady herself loomed behind his small black figure like a full-sailed merchantman behind a tiny pilot boat, Jelicombs welcomed her with the easy courtesy for which he was remarkable. And having closed the door and bowed, her Into an armchair he looked he looked her over in the minute and yet abstracted fashion which was peculiar to him. Do you not find he said that with your short sight, it is a little trying to do so much typewriting? I did at first, she answered, but now I know where the letters are without looking. then suddenly realizing the full purport. Of his words she gave a violent start, and looked up with fear and astonishment upon her broad, good-humoured face. You've heard about me, Mr. Holmes, she cried. Else how could you know all that? Never mind, said Holmes, laughing. It is my business to know things. Perhaps I have trained myself to see what others overlook. In, if not, why should you come to consult me? I came to you, sir, because I heard of you from Mrs. Thurridge, whose husband you found so easy when the police and everyone had given him up for dead. Oh, Mr. Holmes, I wish you would do as much for me. I'm not rich, but I still have a hundred a year in my own right besides the little that I make by the machine, and I would give it all to know what has become of Mr. Hosmer Angel." "'Why did you come away to consult me in such a hurry?' Asked Sherlock Holmes, with his fingertips together and his eyes to the ceiling. "'Again a startled look came over the somewhat racious face of Miss Su- Mary Sutherland. "'Yes, I did bang out of the house,' she said, "'for it made me angry to see the easy way in which Mr. Windebank, that is, my father, took it all. "'He would not go to the police, and he would not go to you.' And so, at last, as he would do nothing, and kept on saying that there was no harm done, it made me mad, and I just on with my things and came right away to you. Your father, said Holmes, your stepfather, surely, since the name is different. Yes, my stepfather. I call him father, though it sounds funny too, for he is only five years and two months older than myself. And your mother is alive? Oh, yes, mother is alive and well. I wasn't best pleased, Mr. Holmes, when she married again so soon after Father's death, and a man who was nearly fifteen years younger than herself. Father was a plumber in the Tottenham Court Road, and he left a tidy business behind him which Mother carried on with Mr. Hardy, the foreman, but when Mr. Windervane came, he made her sell the business where he was very superior being a traveller in wines, they got four thousand seven hundred for the goodwill and interest, which wasn't near as much as Father could have got if he had been alive. I had suspec I had expected to see Sherlock Holmes impatient under this rambling and inconsequential narrative, but on the contrary, he had listened with the greatest concentration of attention. Your little own little income, he asked. Does it come out of the business? Oh no, sir, it is quite separate, and was left to me my by, by, by my uncle Ned in Auckland. It is in New Zealand stock paying four and a half per cent. Two thousand five hundred pounds was the amount. But I can only touch the interest. You interest me extremely, said Holmes, and since you draw so large a sum as a hundred a year, of what you earn into the bargain you no doubt travel little and indulge yourself in every way i believe that a single lady can get on very nicely upon an income of about sixty pounds i could do with much less than that mr holmes but you understand that as long as i live at home I, d- I don't wish to be a burden to them and so they have the use of the money just while i am staying with them a course that is only just for the time. Mr. Windebeng draws my interest every quarter and pays it to my mother, and I find I can do pretty well with what I earn at typewriting. It brings me two pence a sheet, and I can often do from fifteen to twenty sheets in a day. You have made your position very clear to me," said Holmes. "'This is my friend, Dr. Watson. Before whom you can speak as freely as before myself. Can least tell us how, all about your connection with Mr. Hosmer Angel." A flush stole over Mr. <laughs> Miss Sutherland's face, and she picked nervously at the fringe of her jacket. "'I met him first at Gasfitters Balls, she said. They used to send further tickets when he was alive, and then afterwards they remembered us and sent them to mother mr windebank did not wish us to go he never did wish us go, to go anywhere he would get quite mad if i wanted to wanted so much as to join a sunday school treat but this time i was set on going I, and i would go for what what right had he to prevent he said the folk were not fit for us to know When all, hold on, (laughs) when, okay, when all father's friends were to be there, and he said that I had nothing fit to wear, when I had my purple flesh that I had never so much as taken out of the drawer, but at last, when nothing else would do, he went off to france upon the business of the firm but we went mother and i with mr hardy who used to be our foreman and it was there i mes- met mr Hosmer angel i suppose said holmes that when mr Windibank came back from france he was very annoyed at your having gone to the ball oh well he was very good about it he laughed i remember and shrugged his shoulders and said there was no use denying anything to a woman for she would have her way. I see. When at gasfitter's ball you met, as I understand, a gentleman called Mr. Hosmer Angel? Yes, sir. I met him that night, and he called the ne- next day to ask if we had got home all safe. And after that we met him. That is to say, Mr. Holmes, I met him twice for walks, but after that my father came back again, and Hosmer Angel could not come to the house any more. No well you know father didn't like anything out of the sort. he wouldn't have vis- any visitors if he could help it and he used to say that a woman should be happy in her own family circle but then as i used to say to mother a woman wants her own circle to begin with and i had not got mine yet but how about mr Hosmer angel did he th- make no attempt to see it? Well, father was going off to France in a week, and Hosmer wrote and said that if it would be safer and better not to see each other until he had gone, we could write in the meantime, and he used to write he, every day. I took the letters in the morning, so there was no need for father to know. Were you engaged with the gentleman at this time? Oh, yes, Mr. Holmes. We were engaged after the first walk we took. Hosmer, Mr. Angel, was a cashier. In an office in Leadenhall Street and what office? That's the worst of it, Mr. Holmes. I don't know. Where did he live then? He slept on the premises. And you don't know his address? No, except that it was Leadenhall Street. And where did you get your a- Where did you address your letters then? To the Leadenhall Street Post Office be left till called for. He said that if they were to be sent to the office he would be chaffed by all the other clerks about having letters from a lady, so I offered to typewrite them like he did his, but he wouldn't have that, for he said that when I wrote them they seemed to come from me, but when they were typewritten I always thought that the machine had come between us. That would just show. You, how fond he was of me, Mr. Holmes, and the little things that he would think of. It was most suggestive, said Holmes. It has long been an axiom ex- of mine that the little things are infinitely more s- the most important. Can you remember any other little things about Mr. Hosmer, Angel? He was a very shy man, Mr. Holmes. He would rather walk with me in the evening than in the daylight. For he said that he hated to be conspicuous. Very retiring and gentlemanly he was. Even his voice was gentle. He had the quimsy and swollen glands when he was young, he had told me, and it had left him with a weak dirt and a hesitating, whispering fashion of speech. He was always well-dressed and very neat and plain, but his eyes were weak, just as mine are and he wore tinted glasses against the glare. Well, and what happened to Mr. Winnebake, your stepfather? Returned to France. Mr. Hosmer Angel came back to the house again, and proposed that we should marry before father came back. He was in dreadful earnest, and made me swear with my hands on the testament, that whatever happened, I would always be true to him. Mother said that he was quite right to make me swear, and that it was sign of his passion mother was all in his favor from the first and was even fonder of him than I was then when they talked of marrying within the week I began to ask about father but both said never mind about father but did just tell him afterwards and mother said she would make it all right with him I didn't quite like that mr. Holmes it seemed funny that I should ask his leave as he was only a few years older than me. But I didn't want to do anything on the slice, so I wrote to Father at Borderox, where the company has its French offices, but the letter came back to me on the very morning of my wedding. I missed him then. Yes, sir, for he had started to England just before it arrived. Ha! That was unfortunate. Your wedding was arranged then for the Friday was it to be in church? Yes, sir, but very quietly. It was to be at St. Savo- Saviour's, the King's Cross, and we were to have breakfast afterwards at the St. Pancras Hospital. Hosmer came for us in a hansom, but as there were two of us, he put us both into it and stepped himself into a four-wheeler which happened to be the only other cab in the street. We got to the church first, and when the four-wheeler drove up, we waited for him to step out, but he never did. And w- the cabman got down from the box and looked. There was no one there. The cabman said he could not imagine what had become of him, for he had seen him get in with his very own eyes, with his own eyes. That was last Friday, Mister Holmes, and I have not never seen or heard anything since then to throw any light upon what became of him it seems to me that you have been very shamefully treated said holmes oh no sir he was too good and kind to leave me so why all the morning he was saying to me that whatever happened i was to be true and that even if something quite unforeseen occurred to separate us I was always to remember that I was pledged to him, and that he would claim his pledge sooner or later. seems strange to talk for a wedding morning, but what has happened since gives a meaning to it. Most certainly it does. Your own opinion is, then, that some unforeseen catastrophe has occurred to him? Yes, sir. I believe that he foresaw some danger, or else he would not have talked so. And then I think that what he foresaw happened. But you have no notion as to what it could have been? None. One more question. How did your mother take the matter? She was angry and said that I was never to speak of the matter again. And your father, did you tell him? Yes, and he seemed to think with me and that something had happened, and I should hear of Hosna again. As he said, what interest could anyone have in bringing me to the doors of the church and then leaving me? Now, if he had borrowed my money, or if he had married me and got my money settled on him, there might be some reason. But Hosmer was very independent about money, and never would look at a shilling of mine. And yet, what could have happened? And why could he not write? Oh, it drives me half mad to think, of, and I can't sleep a wink at night. She pulled the handkerchief out of her mouth and began to sob heavily into it. I shall glance into the case for you," said Holmes, rising. "And I have no doubt that we shall reach some definite result. Let me wait. Of, let the weight of the matter rest upon me now, and do not let your mind dwell upon it further. Above all, try to let Mr. Hosmer Angel vanish from your memory, ma- as he has done from your life. Then you don't think I'll see him again? I fear not. Then what has happened to him? You will leave that question in my hands. I should like an accurate description of him and any letters of his which you can spare. I advertised for him in last Saturday's Chronicles, said she. Here is the slip, and here are the four letters from him. Thank you. And your address? 31 Lion Place, Camberwell. Mr. Angel's address you never had, and just, yeah. Where is your father's place of business? He travels for Westhouse and Marbank the great claret in of van church street thank you you have made your statement very clearly you will leave the papers here and remember the advice which i have given you that the whole incident be a sealed book and do not allow it to affect your life you are very kind mr holmes but i cannot do that i shall be true to hosmer you will find me ready when he comes back for all the preposterous and Vash's face there was something noble in the simple face of our visitor which compelled our respect. She laid her little bundle of papers upon the table and went her way, with the promise to come again whenever she might be summoned. Holmes sat in silence for a few minutes with his fingertips still pressed together, his legs stretched out in front of him and his gaze directed upwards to the ceiling. I just had to have a sip of my hot chocolate. Then he took down from the tr- rack the old and oily clay pipe, which was to him as a counsellor, and having lit it, he leaned back into his chair, in his chair, with a thick blue cloud face, and spinning up from him and a look of infinite languor on his face. Quite an interesting study that maiden, he observed. I found her more interesting than her little problem, which, by the way, is rather a trite one. You'll find parallels if you consult my index. In Andover in 77, and there was something of the sort at Hug last year. Old as is the idea. However, there were one or two details which were... New to me, but the maiden herself was most instructive. You appear to have read a good deal upon her, which was quite invisible to me, I remarked. Not invisible, but unnoticed, Watson. You did not know where to look, and so you missed all that was important. I can never bring you to realize the importance of, th- of sleeves, the suggestiveness of thumbnails, or the great issues that may hang from a bootlace. Now, what did you gather from the woman's experience, appearance, describing? Well, she had a slate-coloured, broad-brimmed straw hat with a, a feather of a brickish red. Her jacket was black with black beads sewn upon it, and a fringe of little black jet ornaments. Her dress was brown, feathered darker than coffee colour, with a little purplish, purple plush at the neck and sleeves. Her gloves were grayish and w- were worn through at the right forefinger. Her boots I didn't observe. She had s- small, round, hanging gold earrings and general air of being fairly well-to-do t- in a vulgar, comfortable, easy-going way. Holmes clapped his hands softly together and chuckled, "Upon my word, Watson, you are coming along wonderfully. You have done really w- you have done very well, indeed. It is true that you have missed everything of importance, but, <laughs> but you have hit upon the method, and you have a quick eye for colour. Never trust the general impressions, my boy. But concentrate yourself upon details. My first glance is always at, the, at a woman's sleeve, and a man perhaps it is better to take to the knee of the trouser. As you observe, the woman had... Flesher sleeves, which is the most useful matter for showing traces. The double line a little above the wrist where the typewriter presses against the table is beautifully design- defined. The sewing machine of the hand type leaves a similar mark, but only on the left arm and on the side of it farthest from the thumb, instead of being right across the broadest part. As this was, I then glanced at her face, observing the tints of a pince at either side of her nose. I ventured a remark upon it, short sight and typewriting, which seemed to surprise her. It surprised me, but surely it was very obvious. I was then much surprised and interested on glancing down to observe that, though the boots which she was wearing were not unlike each other, were really odd ones. The one having a slightly decorated toe cap, and the other a plain one. One was buttoned only in the two lower buttons out of five, and the other one at first, third and fifth. Now when you see that a young lady, otherwise neatly dressed, has come away from home with odd boots, half buttoned, It is no great deduction to say that she came away in a hurry. And what else, I asked, keenly interested, as I always was, by my friend's incisive reasoning. I noted in passing that she had written a note before leaving home. But after being fully dressed, you observe that her right glove was torn at the forefinger, but do not apparently see that both glove and finger were stained with violet ink. She had written in a hurry, and dipped her pen too deep. It must It must have been this morning, or the mark would not remain clear upon the finger. All is amusing, though, rather elementary, but I must go back to business, Watson. Would you mind reading me the advertised description of Mr. Hosmer, Angel? I held the little printed slip to the light, missing it said. On the the morning of the 14th, a gentleman named Hosmer Angel, about five feet, seven in height, strongly built, sallow complexion, black hair, little bald in the centre, bushy, black side whiskers and moustache, tinted glasses, slight infirmity of speech, was dressed when last seen in black frock coat, based with silk black, waistcoat gold, Albert change, and grey Harris-tweed trousers, with brown gaiters over the elastic-sided boots known to have been employed in an office in Legion Hall Street, anyone bringing, anybody bringing. That will do, said Holmes. As to the letters, he continued glancing over them, they are very commonplace, absolutely no clue in them to Mr. Angel, save that he quotes, Balzac the once. There is one remarkable point, however, which will no doubt strike you. They are typewritten, I remarked. Not only that, but the signature is typewritten. Look at the neat little Hosmer angel at the bottom. There is a date, you see, but no superscription, except Leadon Hall Street, which is rather vague. The point about the signature is very suggestive. In fact, we may call it conclusive. Of what? My dear fellow, is it possible you do not see how strongly it bears upon the case? I cannot say that I do, unless it were that he wished to be able to deny his signature if an action for breach of promise were instituted. No, that was not the point. However, I shall write two letters which should settle the matter. One is to a firm in the city, and the other is to the young lady's stepfather, Mr. Windebank. Ask him whether he can meet us here at six o'clock to-morrow evening. It is just as well that we do the business of the male relatives. And now, doctor, we can do nothing until the answers to those letters come. So we may put our little problem upon the shelf for the interim. I had so many reasons to believe my friend's subtle powers of reasoning and extraordinary energy in action that I felt he must have some solid grounds for the assured and easy demeanour which he treated the singular mystery which, had, which he had been called upon to fathom. Once only had I known him to fail in the case of King of Bohemia and the Irene Adler photograph, but when I looked back to the weird business of the sign of form and the extraordinary circumstances, circum... Circumstances connected with this study in scarlet, I felt that it would be a strange tangle indeed which he could not unravel. I left him then, still puffing at his black clay pipe with the conviction that when I came again on the next evening, I would find him held in hands all the clues which would lead up to the identity of the disappearing bridegroom of Miss Mary Sutherland. A professional case of great gravity was engaging my own attention at the time, and the whole next day I was busy at the bedside of the sufferer. It was not until close upon six o'clock that I found myself free. I was able to spring into a hansom and drive to Baker Street, half afraid that I might be too late to assist at the the of the little mystery. I found Sherlock Holmes alone. However, half asleep, with his long, thin form curled into the recesses of the armchair, a formidable array of bottles and test tubes, pungent, cleanly smell of hydrochloric acids, which told me he spent his day in the chemical work, chemical work which was so dear to him. Well, have you solved it? I asked as I entered. Yes, it was the bisulphate of Barietta. No, no, the mystery, I cried. Oh, that. I thought of the salt that I have been working upon. There was never any mystery in the matter, though. As I said yesterday, some of the details are of interest. The only drawback is there is no log. I fear they can touch the scoundrel who was he then and what was his object in deserting miss sutherland the question was hardly out of my mouth and holmes had not yet opened his lips to reply when we heard a a heavy footfall in the passage and a tap at the door this is the girl's stepfather mr james winterbank said holmes he has written to me to say that he would be here at six come in the man who entered was a sturdy middle-sized fellow some thirty years of age clean shaven and sallow skinned, with a bland, insinuating matter, and a pair of wonderfully sharp, penetrating grey eyes, he shot a questioning glance at each of us and placed his shiny top hat upon the sideboard, and with a slight bow slided sidled sidd- <laughs> Sorry Siddled down into the nearest chair. Good evening, mister James Winderbank, said Holmes. I think that this is type, this typewritten letter is from you, in which you made an appointment with me for six o'clock. Yes, sir, I am afraid that I am a little late, but I am not quite my own master, you know. I am sorry that Miss Southerton has troubled you about this little matter, for I think it is far better not to wash linen of this sort in public. She was quite against my wishes, It was quite against my wishes that she came, but she is a very excitable and impulsive girl, as you may have noticed, and she is not easily controlled when she has made up her mind on a point. Of course, I do not mind you so much, as you are not connected with the official police, but it is not pleasant to have a family misfortune like this, noised abroad. Besides, it is a useful expense." But well, how could you pime- possibly find this Hosmer Angel? On the contrary," said Holmes quietly, "I have every reason to believe that I succeeded in discovering Mister Hosmer Angel." Mister Windebank gave a violent start and dropped his gloves. "I am delighted to hear it," he said. "It is a curious thing," remarked Holmes, "that a typewriter has really quite as much individuality as a man's handwriting, unless." they are quite new no two of them write exactly alike some letters get worn, more worn than others and some wear only on one side now you remark in this note of yours mr windevig that in every case there is some slurring over the e and a slight defect in the tail of the r there are fourteen other characteristics but those are more obvious we do all "'our correspondence with this machine at the office. "'And no doubt it is a little worn,' our visitor answered, "'glancing keenly at Holmes with his bright little eyes. "'And now I will show you what's a really interesting study, Mr. Windebank.' "'Holmes continued, "'I think the writing of a- another little monograph of "'some of these days on the typewriter "'and its relation to, its- to crime. "'It is a subject to which I have devoted some little attention and... I have here four letters which report to come from the missing man. They're all typewritten. In each case not only are the East letters in pl- the R's tailors, but you will observe if you care to use <sighs> if you care to use my man- magnifying lens <laughs> that the fourteen other characteristics to which I have alluded are there as well. Mr. Winderbank sprang out of his chair and picked up his hat. I cannot waste time over this fantastic talk, Mr. Holmes, he said. If you can catch the man, catch him, and let me know when you have done it. Certainly, said Holmes, stepping over and turning the key in the door. I'll let you know then that I have caught him. What? Where? shouted Mr. Winderbank, turning white right to his lips and glancing about him like a rat in a trap. Oh, it won't do. Really, it won't, said Holmes suavely. "'There is no possible way of gaining out of it, Mr. Windebank. "'It is quite too transparent, and it was a very bad compliment "'when you said it was impossible for me to solve so simple a question. "'That's right. Sit down and let us talk it over.' "'Our visitor collapsed into the chair with a ghastly face and a glitter of moisture on his brow. "'It's, it's not actionable,' he stammered. "'I am very much afraid that it is that it is not, but between ourselves, Windabank. It was as cruel and selfish and heartless stricken, a petty way as ever came before me. Though let me just run over the course of events, and you will contradict me if I go wrong. The man sat huddled in his chair, with his head sunk upon his breast, like one who was utterly crushed. Holmes struck his feet up on the corner of the mantelpiece, leaning back with his hands in his pockets and began talking rather to himself as it seemed then to us the man married a woman very much older than himself for her money said he and he enjoyed the use of her of the money of the daughter as long as she lived with them it was a considerable sum of m- for people in their position and the loss of it would have made a serious difference it was worth an effort to preserve it the daughter was of a good little disposition but the affectionate and warm-headed in her ways, so that it was evident that, with her fair personal advantages, her little income, she would not be allowed to remain single long. Now, her marriage would mean, of course, the loss of a hundred a year. So what does her stepfather do to prevent it? He takes the obvious course of keeping her at home and forbidding her to seek the company of people her own age. But soon he found that she would that would not answer forever. She became restive, insisted upon her rights, and finally announced her positive intention of going to a certain ball. What does the, her clever stepfather do then? He conceives an idea more creditable to his head than to his heart. With the c- connivance and assistance of his wife, he disguised himself, covered those keen eyes with tinted glasses. Masked the face with a mustache and a pair of bushy whiskers, sunk into that clear, sunk that clear voice into an insinuating whisper, doubtfully secure on the girl's short starts, short sight. He appears as Mister Husband Angel, and keeps off other lovers by making love himself. It was only a joke at first. Groaned our visitor. We never thought she, that she would. Have been so carried away very likely not however that may be the young lady was decidedly carried away and having quite made up her mind that her stepfather was in france the suspicion of the treachery never for an instant entered her mind she was flattered by the gentleman's actions and the effect was increased by the loudly expressed admiration of her mother then mr angel began to call for it was obvious that the matter should be pushed as far as it would go. If a real effect were to be produced, there were meetings and an engagement, which would finally secure the girl's affections from turning towards anyone else. But the deception could not be kept up forever. These pretended journeys to France were rather, cumbre- were rather cumbrous. The thing to do was clearly to bring the business to an end, in such a dramatic end manner that it would leave a permanent pre- impression upon the young lady's mind, and prevent her from looking upon any other suitor for some time to come, hence those vows of fidelity exacted upon a testament, and hence also the allusions to a possibility of something happening on the very morning of the, of the wedding. James Wendebank wished Miss Sutherland to be bound to Hosmer Angel. And so uncertain as to his fate, that for ten years to come, at any rate, she would lis- She would not listen to any to another man, as far as the church door he brought her, and then, as he could go no further, he conveniently vanished away by the old trick of stepping in the one door of a four-wheeler and out the other. I think that it was a ch- as the chain of events, Mister Windbank, her other visit. Our visitor had recovered something of assurance while Holmes had begun talking. He rose from his chair with a cold sneer upon his face. It may be so, or it may not, Mr. Holmes said he, but if you are so very sharp, you ought to be sharp enough to know that it is you who are breaking the law and not me. I've done nothing a- actionable from the first. But as long as you keep that door locked you lay yourself open to an action for assault and illegal constraint the law cannot as you say touch you unlocking and throwing open the door that there never was a man who deserved punishment more that the young lady has a brother or friend he ought to lay a whip across your shoulders by Jove, he continued flushing up at the sight of of the bitter sneer upon the man's face it is not part of my duties to my client, but here's a hunting crop handy, and I think I shall just treat myself to. He took two swift steps, <laughs> to the whiff, but before he could grasp it, there was a wild clatter of steps upon the stairs, and the heavy hall door banged. And from the window you could see, Mister James Wintering, running at the top speed. <laughs> running at the top speed the top of his feet, down the road, there's a cold-blooded scoundrel, said Holmes, laughing as he threw himself down into his chair once more. That fellow will rise from crime to crime until he does something very bad and ends on a gallows. The case has in some respects not been not entirely devoid of interest. I cannot see how int- now I cannot see how now, how entirely. Blah, 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 blah. I cannot now entirely see all the steps of your reasoning. Well, of course, it was obvious from the first that this Mr. Hosmer Angel must have some strong object for his curious conduct, and it was equally clear that the only man who really profited by the incident, as far as we could see, was the stepfather. Then the fact that the two men were never together, but that one always appeared when the other was away was suggestive. So were the tinted spectacles and the curious voice, which both hinted at a disguise. As to the bushy whiskers, my suspicions were all confirmed by his, his peculiar action in his type reading, typewriting signature, which of course inferred that his handwriting was so similar to her, um, familiar to her, that she would. Recognize even the small sample of it. You see, all these isolated facts, together with so many minor might, my- with many minor ones, all pointed in the same direction. And how did you ver- verify them? Having once spotted my man, it was easy to get co- corroboration. I knew the firm for which the man worked. Having taken the printed description, I eliminated everything from it. Which could be the result of a disguise—the whiskers, the glasses, the voice—and I sent it to the firm of Chris, that they would inform me whether it answered the description of any of their travellers. And I had already noticed the peculiarities of the typewriter. And I wrote to the man himself at his business address, asking him if he would come here. As I expected, his reply was typewritten and revealed the same trivial but characteristic mystic defects. (laughs) The same post brought me a letter from Westhouse and Marbank of Fenchurch Street to say that the description tallied in every respect with that of their employee. employee. James Windebank, volatort, and Miss Sutherland, if I tell her she would not believe me, you may remember the old Persian saying, There is danger for him who, who taketh the tiger cub, and danger also for whoso snatches a delusion from a woman. There is as much sense in ha- is as in Horus, in as much knowledge of the world. Um, that was The Case of Identity. Um, man, I actually read that whole thing for, like, 15 minutes straight. Wow. <laughs> huh. I'm gonna need some water. Uh-huh. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed that. I'm- I know I'm gonna have a lot of fun with this podcast. Even if no one reads it. I'm- I'm so gonna do stuff for it, because... Why not? It's fun. Um, I guess I'll see y'all in the next episode. Toodles!